it's just such a joy and pleasure to the edifying experience to what the Lord's Supper and remembrance of the Lord so close to Easter partaking in the in the body and blood of Christ. Listen to the doxology of Al singing, being washed in that blood. Just moves just moves me. I feel very blessed today to be here, be able to share in God's word. I want to welcome everybody. Uh, New Harvest Ministries, NEO. I'll be sh- doing the word of, this evening, uh, sharing in uh, the sufferings of Christ. On Wednesday night, I just spoke in uh, broad terms on suffering. Now we're going to narrow it down, I hope, and just, just hone right in on it uh, and sharing that sufferings with Christ our Lord and our Savior. I know it's... Uh, Talking about suffering and, and most of things of our human nature is generally in opposition to what we think and to what God's uh, will is. We have a hard time understanding things of God and such. We have to stop and think about it. Think about the things, what's being said in God's word. I mean, I would never consider it all joy and suffering. That's why in the word of God it says to consider it. That means we have to stop. Consider it. Uh, No, it's hard to understand. I think I said this Wednesday night. We don't have to understand. We don't need to understand for our salvation. It doesn't say when I'm reading the story about Nicodemus. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus how one must be reborn again. Uh, I can't see the wind. Sometimes it's hard to maybe to understand all that. But it doesn't say you need to understand this before it goes into the next eight verses saying you need to believe, 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 believe. Believe in what? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. We must believe. And I think through our believing, accepting God's word is the authoritative word of God that's been inspired by God, written through a man's hand, that we read it, we believe it, then we'll, we'll, we'll come to, uh, he'll allow our understanding to become greater. Uh, my understanding has become greater. Uh, my humility has become more. It's been very edifying working through the book of Peter, working with godly men that are seeking nothing but proclaiming the truth of God, to hear men sing their music, devoted to God, to bring glory to God. A part of understanding how to bring glory to God and to share his word is we have to understand about suffering. Suffering for Christ. We suffer. God saves his people through suffering, through Jesus Christ. It's just a fact. I'll share that this evening in the scriptures, that it is the will of God. Now, we all have to consider this. I I would rather have it by God's hand, by the will of God, my suffering, by the will of God, my death, by the will of God, everything that I dislike, I'd rather see it by God's hand than thinking it was by the power of an evil one. Sadly, God ordained it. 
He willed it. And there's a reason, and there's a purpose for that. Now, I'm sorry I can't get up here and do the prosperity gospel and tell you how you can live your best life now. I would be shrieking back from my duties as a minister of Christ to share the truth of his word. That's what we like to do. We like to share the truth of his word. You may not like it. You may not like hearing it. But that's what we, we, we seek to do here. If you would uh, stand for me for the reading of God's word, it would help if I tell you where we're at. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. I had a good indication you knew because we've been working through the book since the very beginning. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 19. Beloved, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial among you, which cometh upon you to prove you, as though a strange thing happened unto you. But insomuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, rejoice that at the revelation of his glory also ye may rejoice with exceeding joy. If ye are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are ye. Because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God resteth upon you. For let none of you suffer as murder or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler in other man's matters. But if a man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in his name. For... The time is come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begin first at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them also that suffer according to the will of God commit their souls in well-doing unto a faithful Creator, let us pray. Our Father and our God, we just thank you so much for your words here, Father. I pray that you may give people a heart to know and ears to hear and eyes to see and an understanding, Father. Understanding that all the pain and all the suffering could reach the lowest lows But it's the only way that we can get to the highest highs and know of your love, your grace, your mercy, and all the things you just lavish on us. Just lavish on us abundantly for those who believe in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So it starts off as beloved. Beloved. Very enduring. Talking to a saved people. We're God's elect, the chosen, sojourners in a, in a world that's not our home. We've been reading through the book. We've been reading through the sufferings and the persecutions of it. And Peter's addressing us here again as beloved, my saved brother. As I talk to you today, my saved brothers and sisters, take heed. Let's listen to God's word. And then he goes on to say, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials among you. The fiery trials among them. It tells him, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. What was going on with them right at the time? 
Well, at this time that the book of Peter was written, was it, it was either right before or right after, but it was in the fires of Nero. Nero was, uh, was persecuting the Christians for their faith in Christ. You talk about a fiery ordeal, uh, unimaginable. Be brought into the Colosseum. And I believe I heard that what they would do is they would crucify believers in Christ, but it wouldn't be until after they were baptized. They had a confession of faith, but it consummated it with a baptism, and that was signing, basically signing your death certificate. We, we, we come to believe in Christ by believing in our heart, professing with our mouth, that's between you and God. You hear God's voice like his sheep. You come to him. You're drawn to him. And because of that, then it's an outward profession of our faith that one would take, take the baptism. Be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, professing to all, to all my brothers and sisters and families and to the world, I am a follower. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. That consummated their, their belief. That consummated their belief, then they were persecuted. That went on for a, a good 200-year period, and there was a purpose for that. The church had just exploded. God's word had just exploded. But ultimately, it always comes back to God and ultimately brings glory to God. And here he's telling them now about the, the fear of truth among you which cometh upon you to prove you as though a strange thing happened on you. Don't think it's strange if you're going through persecution in your life. No, don't think it's strange. Don't be surprised that this world doesn't love you. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not that it doesn't love you. It does not love Jesus. And because you proclaim the truth of Jesus, because the power of God rests upon you, because God radiates out of you, the world will hate you. If the world loves you, you should be concerned. That would be concerning. Do not, do not be surprised at this. Now, granted, I understand we're not bringing people down to the Cleveland Coliseum and burning them at the stake. I get that. But we're dying and we're suffering for Christ every day of our life. We battle one good example. The, the best example I can share with you is that I have my fallen nature about me that I still battle with every day. I'm suffering in this body. I suffer with this mind that continually wants to do fleshly things. And I have the spirit in me that knows the difference and there's this inner battle. There's a suffering that goes on. And then through that suffering that goes on is one part of suffering. And then another part of suffering is my family and maybe my friends and the community around me may laugh and, and think I'm a joke or I may not get the job I want or something that may, may things that I once did of the flesh, go on the, the fishing trip and drink a lot of beer and do some pretty, what I thought was fun, fun things. But it was an opposition to God. See, I, I, my flesh says, yeah, you should still do that. But my spirit says, no, that's not God-honoring. We live a God-honoring life today. Uh, so we, we do go through sufferings. We go through sufferings from the time we're born to the time we die. We may have a loved one, and the loved one may pass. 
It may have taken that loved one 20, 30 years to come to the Lord. And, and maybe they came to the Lord and we had such joy for 10, 15 years and now the loved one's gone. He went on to be to heaven. But we're still stuck here on this earth. We, 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 we feel we, we suffer. We suffer when we have children or, or we have a, a spouse that is not saved that we feel that they're outside of God, warring with God. We suffer inside. We suffer daily. So I, I don't think it's just being burned at the stake is suffering. We're suffering for Christ. We're dying with Christ daily. If you're a saved Christian, you're dying with Christ daily. First Peter says, so that the test, tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that's precious perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor and revelation of Jesus Christ. Because this, this testing, this, this suffering that we go through, it says that it, it, it's to prove you. You know, the book of James tells us, consider it all joy, my brother, when we face various trials and tribulation. It's, it's the testing of your faith. It makes you strength, strengthens you. It gives you endurance. It makes you lacking in nothing. And ultimately, when we go through different trials in our life, the strengthening of our faith, what, what that means to me is, you know, I had a faith before I had a saving faith. And I had that faith that was a perishable faith. It wasn't a lasting faith. It was a changing faith. Today I have a faith in my Lord and Savior. And when I go through a difficult trial and I continue to put my faith and trust in him and I get on the other side of that, it just strengthens my faith. I know that I have a saving faith. I know that I rest comfortably in my Father's hand. Abba, Father, enduring, promises it. I feel that. I sense that in my life today. That's what the, the, the trying, the, in the fire, in the furnace of every tribulation and trial and suffering that I go through in my life. And I hope also with you that you understand it produces, it just takes out all the impurities out of you. It makes you lacking in nothing because you should just turn your faith and trust greater and stronger on the Lord. Now, we start off here, and he tells us four things is being told to us in, in the, the message tonight. Tells us to expect it, rejoice in it, elevate its cause, entrust it to God. First off, he just told you, don't, don't be surprised when this happens. That's expecting it. In verse 13, we read, to rejoice in it, he tells us. It says, but in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, rejoice that at the revelation of his glory also you may rejoice with exceeding joy. He's telling us to rejoice in it. Verse 14, he tells us to elevate his cause. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are ye, because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God resteth upon you. For let none of you suffer as murderers or thieves or evildoers or meddlers, other men's matters. 
But if God, if a man suffers as Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. The Spirit of God. We're partakers in this suffering. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Understand the things that I have just said before I mumbled a few things. It's understanding know, know him and the power. Understanding his resurrection. Understanding what he had did. He manifested himself into his creation, into time. A timeless being manifested itself into time to live a sinless life, to die and to live again, and to live, be risen as a risen Savior next to our Lord and Savior. For let none of you suffer as murderers or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler in other men's matters. But if a man suffers as Christian, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Let him not be ashamed if we're suffering for Christ. What's the word ashamed mean? Disgraced, embarrassed. Do not be embarrassed or disgraced. Where's another spot does it say in Scripture about not being ashamed? What tells us in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do not be, do not be disgraced, do not be embarrassed by that. You have to understand that people, people's comments are not verdicts. We look at people's comments for our belief in Christ and how we act and what we do. They may comment about us, how we're strange and unordinary people. Don't take it as a verdict against you. Overlook their offense. Rise above it. Understand the power of God that rests upon you. Rise above that. Don't be ashamed of it. Be be proud to proclaim the truth that saved you, my brother, that saved you, my sister. In the same sense, when we're going through suffering, that our light should shine so bright and not be ashamed of it because I'm not going to go and commit sin with you, go and make sin with you. I I like that word. I often say I have a a person that I minister to and I say, oh, he's going to go make sin this weekend. Uh, because his flesh thinks that's fun. He desires that. You as believers, that is not fun. Don't be ashamed to say the truth. Why? For the reason. Don't take it as a verdict against you. Stand up. Rise above it. For the time is is comes for the judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it began first at us, what shall it be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? Now, this is very interesting. Now, I really mold a lot on, uh, on my verses this past couple weeks. And this, to me, 
it, it, it almost, it almost goes to eschatology, end-time prophecy, where the judgment of the Lord should begin at the house of the Lord. And then it, it, it kind of brings me back to, the, what, what do you mean by that, John? Well, here's what I mean by it. Here's where the judgment of God begins. You know, oftentimes, I, I, the secular world always talks about how uh, the Christians can always go out and, and uh, you know, the carnal Christian can tell everybody else their flaws and their sins, but they're living their own sins and their own flaws. And, and that really makes Christians, gives Christians a bad name. That doesn't necessarily make them a Christian, see? And, uh, and what's God telling us? You know, before we go out and pass judgment on the world and, 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 and call out their sins, the judgment of the Lord should start at the house of the Lord. Well, why is that? Because that's where God starts. He's going to start at the house of the Lord, and he's going to start with the elders. He's going to start with the one that's standing right here. That's who he's going to start with. We need to understand that when we're right there calling somebody else out on their sin. We, we find this, and it's almost eschatology, is how when Jesus comes back is where he's going to start. I guarantee you he's going to start in the house of the Lord. But we find in Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6, And the Lord said to him, Now this is when the, when, before the Babylonian siege was going to happen, and this is the God that wills things that preachers have a hard time talking about, but I'll let you deal with God about it. But God is willing this. He's saying that these things are going to happen. And it's really tough language here. And the Lord said to him, Pass through the city, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. And to the others, he said, in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall not spare, and you shall show no pity. Kill old men outright, young men, maidens, little children, and women, but touch no one on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary. So they began with the elders who were before the house. They began with the elders. You notice he said to mark their heads to the people that were, were just groaned over the abominations that were being committed. And God willed the Babylonians to come and do this to his people. And God will do that again. And God has done that through history. So let the judgment of the Lord begin in the house of the Lord. Right here in your house. Now, the very next verse is verse 18. And it says... And if the righteous is scarcely saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Now, here, Peter is quoting the Proverbs. He's quoting a proverbial wisdom. First, he, the last verse, it's like in times. Now he's going to quote proverbial wisdom, like for the right now in it. 
And if the righteous is scarcely saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Proverbs 11.31, if the righteous is repaid on earth, how much, much more the wicked and the sinner? You know, and that's what kind of got me in this. But it doesn't, it, the meaning, here's, here's what it is. Both of them, both of them, in time, right now, it tells me that God saves his people through suffering. That's what it tells me. Whether it be the end time, either it be proverbial wisdom right now, God saves his people through suffering. God has ordained that his people share in the suffering of his Messiah, the only one for whom any kind of suffering was completely undeserved. Suffering doesn't somehow purchase glory. Suffering is glorious. Put it another way, glory is what suffering looks like from an eternal perspective. It is the honor of God that crowns God's people. And there will come a time in which all of the church's shared sufferings will be seen as a radiant and beautiful. We can't get away from the suffering. We can't get away from the will of God. Now, Bringing judgment to the house of the Lord. Now, Matthew tells us how to do that. He tells us, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. He goes on to tell us, you know, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established, by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as the Gentiles and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Now see, this verse is not on Wednesday night when no, nobody shows up and there's just you and one other person in the sanctuary and you say, brother, the Holy Spirit's with us. We're two or more here. That, that's not what this says. This is at the end. This is church discipline. Now, I understand that the scripture said that God is going to come and he's going to start with the house of the Lord. But what can we do while we're here in the house of God? That begins in the house of God as ministers in the house of God. He gives us a clear order on which to take. We go to a brother. First, we have to examine our hearts. First, we have to make sure we're not the murderer or the gossiper or this or that that we had read in these passages. First, we need to make sure we're not that. But then we go to our brother and we say, brother, you're an heir. And if the brother doesn't want to change his ways and his heirs, if he does, we've saved the brother. If he does not, we go and we gather another brother. We have two brothers go and sit down and we say, brother, you're an heir. Okay? If he refuses... Then we bring it before the church. Then the church puts him out of the church as he's an unsaved person. 
That's the whole church. No going over Jimmy or Bobby's house for breakfast and calling on the phone and borrowing $10. And, and not, no, they are put out of the church. Why is this, John? And you notice how they say, what's least on earth is least on heaven. Two godly men doing the will of God, sharing the, God's word with an individual. See, when two people are witness, what's bound on earth is bound in heaven. And when we convict somebody and say, brother, you're an heir, that's the power of God that, that he has ordained in us to instill to you with his word to change your ways. But why, John? Why is this? It's because of love. Because we love that brother so much. See, right before this parable, it talks about the lost sheep. There's 99, there's the one lost sheep, and the shepherd goes after the one lost sheep, as we should go after the one lost sheep. Why do we go after the one lost sheep? Because there is so much value to that one lost sheep. There is so much value to that sinner that we put out of the church. There's so much value in him because that person has a purpose and a place. We want to redeem that person for them to come back into the fold to live a God-honoring life and to do all he can for God. That's the purpose of church discipline. Now, if we, if we just ignore your sin... We're sinning with you. We're sinning against God. I think we lack that in our churches today. I think we're so worried about the numbers that we're not worried about God. Remember, Paul said that he is not, a, I'm not here to please men. I'm here to please God. I'm not here to please your, your emotional thoughts make you feel good about your life. He didn't place me here. He's placed me here to speak the truth of his word. That's my primary purpose. Do I want to see you hurt and be in pain? No, I do not. But if it takes pain to bring you to the Lord, then that's the pain that you need to endure. You know, we talk about suffering. I want to talk about the suffering for, as an example. I, I think our, our pastor had a message this morning. He was in Philippians. And he was talking about Paul. I think about Paul, all the sufferings of Paul. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was, what, 39 lashes twice because 40 lashes would kill one? Paul gave up his, his best life now. He was at the, highest, at the highest levels in Judaism with the prosperity gospel. He was really ringing in the money. Uh, you, one would say, he gave all that up. All his fleshly and earthly desires were being met. He gave that up. On one day, it was on the way to Damascus. Christ asked him why he persecuted him. He believed. He believed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He devoted the rest of his life suffering, sharing in the sufferings of Christ to share the gospel and bring glory to God. And do you know that when Paul was in, the, it was, in the, was in prison, in the Roman prison, the Philippian church, he administered to all these churches. And do you realize back in that day, if you were locked in prison, you did not eat. If some of your family member or friend did not bring some kind of resources to you, you would starve to death. Here's Paul 
He's locked up. He may have one or two days left before he just perishes from not eating. He's going to die. He's not worried about his camel and his house and, you know, I, I wish my rent was paid. You know, things are really going bad this month. I, you know, Paul wasn't thinking them things. Paul was sitting there suffering. He's proclaiming the truth and the providence of God. See, what he told the, the, what he told the Philippian people, he says he, he thanked God and he prayed for them. He wasn't praying because, oh, thank you, God, you brought me Kenny Kings. I was, ready to, I was famished. I was ready to die. I needed that food. No, he thanked God for their souls, that they would help a brother in need, that that was helping their souls to return eternal salvation, that they could honor and glory God. Paul could care less about that food. Paul rested, put his assurance and faith in the providence of God. That's called the providence of God. I know that if God wants me to eat today and tomorrow, he's going to feed me. If I'm going to die tomorrow, I'm going to die tomorrow. It will be by God's hand, the providence of God. And Paul is so assured in that and puts his trust in the faith in God. Nothing else, not man. He's not thanking them for a good chicken dinner. He's thanking them for their own souls, just like we should reach out to the starving, the poor the broken. That's a valuable lesson, the providence of God, how we should put our trust in him. As we, we, we go into God's word and, and read it continually, our well will get deeper and deeper understanding. Uh, when I first started this book, I, I didn't even want to talk about suffering. I don't like suffering. I still don't. But as I get through it, uh, I'm okay with it more and more. It's going to be okay. I know it's going to bring glory to God. Do you know, I, I understand this is difficult. So I, I want to do, uh, I want to just bring you this little bit of text before I close today. And I, I just, I just got to go there. There's uh, great theologians, they always debate. The premillennial, millennial eschatology, all this stuff. They're, they're talking about uh, what's going on right now with Christ. You know, that uh, some would say the verse that I'm getting ready, ready to read is going to be, this is what's going to happen when Christ comes back for the second coming. And then I'm reading it with my brother, and I'm thinking, well, that, that appears to me that that is going on right now. See? Now, I'm not going to live or die at the stake if it's going to be at the second coming or not, but I'll tell you what, this is, should be our attitude as believers as if this is taking place right now. Brothers, we have no time. Beloved, we have no time to sit on the church, on the couch and get fat. We need to get out there working for the Lord. We need to deliver his word. There's plenty of lost souls out there. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Read, listen to the scripture. Let it resonate in your hearts. Don't debate and fight if we're going to wait until Jesus comes back to find out. This is a truth. These are all truths. The order of the resurrection. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Easter just happened. He was raised from the dead. For since by a man come death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. 
Christ, the first fruits after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over, this is when Christ is going to hand over the kingdom to the God and Father when he has abolished, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. Now understand this. Christ died. I was told he's at the right hand of the Father and that the Father has put all of his under submission to him underneath his feet. To me, I'm reading as this as right now. And there's a battle going on right now. And there's a battle over the bent ideas of people and their theology and their beliefs that they're bent. Because we don't battle against flesh and blood. We, against, we battle against people that got it wrong. They're living wrong. And there's a battle going on right now. And true Christians, true believers that read the word, they're thinking we're losing the battle. They're waiting around for the second coming to come. The second coming is going to come, but look at it like it's right now. The battle's right now. It's going on right now. He's putting all rule and authority underneath him. He's put them underneath his feet, for he must reign until he has put the enemies under his feet. And I'll tell you, if you don't get on board with this, you're going to miss it, because when he defeats death, that's us, the final chapter in death, it's going to be over with it. There's going to be nothing for you to do. I'm going to be up there singing with Al. We're going to be doxology. We're going to be singing glory to God. There ain't going to be a need for no need for no preaching or expounding on the truth of his word. It'll be story time. We can make up all them stories and tell you how to feel good then. But right now we need to be preaching the truth of God's word. Because he says, for he must reign until he puts all enemies, all this mixed up back government that's they're legislating laws against God. All that's going on in this world will be defeated. Amen. And while we're alive and we're, my mouth is running and blowing air, I'm a part of it. Then the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Brothers, sister, that is when we know that Jesus defeated death when he resurrected on the cross, but he's not talking about that. What we're talking about here is our death, our human bodies. When the last one will die, he's going to defeat death because we will all live eternally. We're going to have resurrected bodies, glorified bodies. We're going to be able to hear better than we've ever heard before, see, taste, feel. All our senses will be just unimaginable how great it will be. And yes, for those who rejected him, they will continue to live too with the gnashing of the teeth in the fury of hell. That's why we're proclaiming the truth of God's word. We don't want to see you there, brothers and sisters. That's why we speak the truth of God. We don't want to lose one. But then when you believe that God tells us he won't lose none of his, because when you hear these words, you'll be drawn to it. You'll be called to it. All our job is, is to preach the words. He's not going to lose any of them. So we don't even have to worry about that. We just have to worry about speaking the truth. Not about making one feel good where they're at right now with their flesh. And there's going to be suffering. 
And it's going to bring glory to God because God suffers his people to salvation. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, thank you, Father. I consider it all joy, all the trials that I've been in my life, Father. And I pray that my brothers and sisters can consider it all joy too, Father. And that we just raise you up, Father. We're dying with you every day of our lives. We're battling against our flesh. May our spirit, may the glory of God rest on us. May the glory of God carry us through any suffering, any persecution. The glory of God will carry us through. We know you promised us that in Scripture. We thank you for that, our God. We thank you so much. And we reign with Jesus right now on this earth over the people that call themselves wise, over the rulers that think they got it all figured out, the truth of God's word will resonate in their hearts for all eternity. And we pray for their souls in Jesus' name. Amen.